The following podcast contains explicit language. It's Tuesday, March 14th, 2017. From Slate, it's The Gist. I'm Mike Pesca. After the presidential election, Commer voices assured us the world will not spin off its axis. The only thing that's the end of the world is the end of the world and that life will go on. I rate those assurances true, mostly true, and two Pinocchios. Yes, life will go on for Americans, but not necessarily for the better of Americans and not in the same way. Let's take the Trans-Pacific Partnership. The U.S. withdrew and our erstwhile partners have gone on as Celine Dion national from TPP Signatory Nation Canada once predicted. Not only have the other 11 nations who signed or were about to sign on to the TPP gone on, they've probably gone over to our biggest trade rival. Politico reports, other countries are ready to rush into the vacuum the U.S. is leaving behind. That phenomenon is on stark display this week in Chile, where more than a dozen Pacific Rim countries are meeting in a beachside hotel to talk about moving on in the post-TPP era. Okay, I am familiar with the geography of Chile, and I gotta say, it is pretty hard to be that far from the beach, so the beachside thing doesn't really impress me. But still, Reuters is reporting that the 11 other signatories are looking away from the American Eagle and toward the Chinese dragon. And this includes the Aussie wombat. The door is open for other Asia-Pacific countries to fill the void. And Australia is looking to the one superpower that was specifically excluded from the original plan. We already have a China-Australia free trade agreement. Uh, Certainly there is the potential for China to join the TPP. Well, of course, if the U.S. turns its back on Asia, the Chinese which was not a signatory to the TPP, will step in. By the way, remember when Donald Trump forgot that the Chinese weren't a part of TPP and Rand Paul pointed it out in a debate, which must have been sweet vindication for that time a month earlier when Trump called him ugly. All that stuff did happen, by the way. Actual things in U.S. politics. But the TPP, I believe it would have been a good deal for America because it would have been a good deal for American business interests. And that doesn't necessarily help the U.S. worker. But once you get more money coming into America, you can find ways to get more money to Americans. And shutting down trade does not help those workers down the line. And it wasn't just opposed by Trump. It was opposed by Bernie and eventually Hillary Clinton too. But if it was such a disastrous deal, Why are the Chinese so crafty, so smart at trade negotiations, so much better than us at negotiating deals? Why are they rushing in to say, sign us up? Rejecting the TPP, even if you think it only helps some Americans and hurts others, well, it certainly helps the Chinese. It elevates them to the dominant force in their region, and that hurts the interests of all Americans. The Japanese recognize this, and that is why their prime minister, Shinzo Abe, is still holding out hope for President Trump to come in and resurrect a regional trade deal. In making his case, Abe appealed to Trump's reason, intellect, and fairness. Oh, Lord, that can't go well. We believe that President Trump is aware of the importance of free and fair trade. We will continue to calmly seek his understanding of TTP's strategic significance. In those 10 seconds, I heard it asserted that Trump surely knows the importance of free trade because he is a calm man with understanding. Oh, brother. There was a book that explained Chinese culture to Americans written about 60, 65 years ago. It was called The Chrysanthemum and the Sword. We need to get Mr. Abe, the companion volume about the U.S. right now. It is called The Wall and the Tweet. 
I bet Trump is not even aware that there are talks right now to resurrect, without the U.S., to resurrect the Trans-Pacific Partnership. He didn't send anyone from Washington to this meeting. Just the uh, Chilean ambassador will be showing up because she was near the beach anyway. I don't know. Maybe Mike Pence told him he'd take care of trans issues and Trump said, fine. Ivanka gets mad at me when I wait in anyway. On the show today, you know, in polling, they have the state tracker, the nation tracker. In weather, they have the storm tracker. I'm going to give you the Wayne tracker. But first, are you ready for a gale force wind of funny? The gatling gun of ratatat humor? The white hot intensity of a million comedy suns? Well, then Todd Barry might not be your guy. But if you're ever in Hattiesburg, Mississippi and want to laugh, ladies and gentlemen, Todd Barry. <laughs> Todd Barry is the stand-up comic who uh, once joked about sperm banks agreeing to connect donors with kids who want to figure out who their fathers are. And he said, hi, Tommy, this is your dad. Stop looking for me. I never wanted a family. I wanted 50 bucks. I'd love to stay and chit-chat, but I have another thousand cassettes to make. Now, if you said to yourself, that sounds like it could be funny if it were coming from expert comedian Todd Barry, you're right. But if what you really want is expert comedian Todd Barry not telling his jokes in his signature style, but writing it on a page, he's giving you that too. Thank you for coming to Hattiesburg is his uh, travel log as he uh, logs some miles to some of North America and Israel's favorite cities. Hello, Todd. How are you? Hey, how are you? Okay, first, I'm good. I, I always blow by that question. I feel bad about it, right? I always get to... What I, my agenda, but I want to tell you I'm good. <laughs> now we can both relax. <laughs> yeah, that's right. The whole interview, for a half hour later, you're like, but how was he? I never really got it. So the subtitle is One Comedian's Tour of Not Quite the Biggest Cities in the World. Did you just choose the medium-sized cities to put in the book, or do you mostly play only the medium-sized cities? Oh, uh, well, I guess in the past year and a half for the book, I did sort of... Uh, try to book more of them. It's not like I went the entire year without playing like Chicago or something. Right. But as far as the book is concerned, I never played Chicago. <laughs> it just looks like I had this cool idea and I stuck with it. But I played, I don't even know how many are in the book, like 50 cities or something. And um, yeah, I, I try to, I mean, I try to play them. Play. I, tr I like to basically go anywhere. I get excited about, especially, I mean, even like there's a thing in the book where I talk about how I was excited to go to Toledo mm -hmm. just because it's like, when am I going to end up in Toledo? Yeah. And it's kind of fun to go there and find find the good in it and not to just go, that's oh, Toledo. I've never, you know, I don't know anyone who talks about Toledo. Yeah. And you just go, no, let's see what's going on in Toledo. Well, it's just like when you write, you were writing about on Instagram, you listed your tour dates and a couple dates in the Dakotas. Yeah. And someone wrote- Living the dream. Right. And, they, and he, I'm guessing they were sarcastic. But yeah. You could t well, did they write it in italics? That's usually a tell. I don't know if Instagram has that function, but uh, they should. 4,000 filters and no italics. Twitter should not. I've always wanted Twitter to get the italics function. That would save a lot of work. That's how we save Twitter. That's how they make money. You and, just charge a little more for italics. I know. And yeah. editing. Editing. Um, <laughs> but yeah. And then, and then there was another thing like <clears throat> when I... Uh, 
I mentioned I was going to Little Rock and someone wrote on Facebook, tough crowd for your smart wit or something like, is the show already, you already know the show's not going to go well? Like, <laughs> I don't even know who you are. Yeah. And I haven't done the show yet. And we're already like deciding that because it's in Little Rock, it's not going to, and it went very well. Yeah. So the, the book is uh, an interesting one man's take on some of these interesting cities. Also, the business of comedy the logistics of comedy, mm-hmm. stage placement's really important. Yeah. Like when there's a buzz on the mic, forget it. It's it's almost impossible to get laughs. I don't have the buzz problem as far as I know, but I, I do have the problem of they don't turn me up loud enough. Yeah. And then people come up after the show and go, yeah, I couldn't hear you. Okay, well, it's, <laughs> they did have a microphone and a guy running it, so I am sorry about that. Uh, it, it, it's actually infuriating. Yeah, it's well, I like, would think. Yeah. Could you imagine the stand-up, and there was back in the pre-electric, pre-microphone vaudeville days, like literally, the, I don't know, you would just have to yell? I, I guess it I guess it got in the way of some of the subtler comedy. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I've done rooms where there's no mic or the mic goes out, and it's a challenge. I mean, yeah, there's a room in Dublin that's famous, that it's like a small little pub that's like this, the, I don't know how to describe it, the epicenter of uh-huh. the Dublin comedy scene, and it's there's no mic, and it's kind of... I feel very vulnerable when I do that. Yeah. I wanted, I did want to ask you a couple questions about your timing and your training. A uh-huh. few questions. One is you're a drummer, right? Well, I mean, yeah, I play drums. I, I don't like to insult actual drummers by saying, yeah, I'm a drummer. Uh-huh. But, I mean, if, yeah, I could, I'm okay for a comedian, but I have really no skills. When I, <laughs> I just from reading some of the bands that you quote and like, do you like kind of punk, thrash, fast music? I like, I mean, I, have uh everyone says i like all kinds of music yeah. but i mean i yeah i sort of like sort of power pop but i also like you know i like uh folky stuff i like some loud shit uh any relationship between the timing of drumming and the timing of comedy or understanding timing i don't think so because i think even when i was i mean there might be mm-hmm. but i certainly i mean i think my timing as a comic if my timing as a drummer is good as my timing as a comic I would still be a drummer. But would would you... Uh, <laughs> I would choose that. But would you only be able to play slowish songs? I know, slow, quiet. You'd really rather be a musician? Well, what I... The few times I, you know, occasionally sit in with a friend's band, and now that I've done so many shows as stand-up, it always feels cool to be like... Like, I sat, I opened for Flight of the Concords a few years ago, and because I played bongos on their show, they brought me out to play a song with bongos, and it's just so cool to look out at a crowd and not have to be talking, just mm-hmm. watching a crowd watching you. Because when you're talking the entire time, you can see it, but you're still working. Whereas you, this way you can kind of just, wow, look up on the balcony, that's cool. <laughs> and, you know, there's other things, there's other factors why you might not want to be a man, which is like getting along with four people and traveling on their gruesome. But what about like solo bongoist? Exactly. <laughs> uh so I was thinking about your pace, right? Sometimes there there are some music services that you could just search music on the BPM rubric. You could just pick music that's 160 beats per minute if you want to run. Oh, really? That. Yeah, yeah. But I think probably people would think, you, you don't go fast, but I bet you people think that you're slower than you are just because it's not just speed, it's about tone, it's about intonation, and it's also about volume. And all of these things are uh, on the on the low side of the continuum with you. Yeah, they are. I mean, I the volume thing, there is sort of a perception, and I've always said this has affected me more 
off stage and on stage of my energy level. Mm-hmm. Like club owners, like, oh, I don't know, there's no low energy. But it's it, overall, I do pretty well on stage. So it's not like, <laughs> yes. I mean, there's people who are going to get bored by me, but I, you know, there's people who scream who bore me. So, of I, course. Um, would you say you are an introvert? I, I mean, I guess I'm introverted. Yeah, I, I can be introverted. I'm, I'm sort of a somewhat social introvert, if that makes sense. Like, yeah. I'm not like, I don't want to go to the party. Like, I'll go to the party, but I just might be brutal to talk to at the party. <laughs> well, one lay definition of introvert versus extrovert is the extrovert is the guy who goes to the party and draws energy from it. And the introvert has to expend energy to get through the party. I have had a few people say, talking about my stage persona, and and they go, you force people to listen to you. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that, is that relative to what Oh, I see. Well, that's the good substitute teacher trick, where you're a little quieter, uh-huh. you're a little slower, and you draw the people in. I think the yellers think that I got I to gotta go so high energy to attract them, you're actually repelling them. Well, I actually was a substitute teacher. It didn't work for me then. Oh, really? Yeah, I was <laughs> for many years. But... <laughs> where? Here in New York City? New York and Florida. What was the difference between the two? Between New York and Florida? Yeah. Actually, uh, Florida schools were, I mean, way, they were better. They were, in Florida, when I did it, the teacher was out. You show up, there's a note saying, here's what we did yesterday. Uh Can you cover this chapter? New York, you just show up. And they're like, it's just like, yeah, you're on your own. Yeah. And then, of course, you walk in. And it takes about a microsecond for a class to figure out, oh, this guy doesn't even know what he's doing. And then just wave the white flag and go, all right, have fun for an hour. Would you write Mr. Barry on the board? I mean, I I didn't know. I mean, it's just because I was a little guy and I'm still a little guy. I mean, it's not like I walk in and I come. There's no reason for them to be afraid of me. Well, once you think that, they're not going to be. I know. But at some point I was like, well, you know, if you didn't leave me lesson plans, Mm -hmm. what am I supposed to? Yeah. Do your job for you. What investment do you have right. other than, you know, in general, children of the future and whatever. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well. Was your training in English? I mean, I have, I, yeah, I have an English degree, but I, I'm not, I don't, it's the most general sense. I had an English degree in like the lowest grades t- possible to graduate. And uh, I'm a bad person. Is what, I'm saying. what, how old were the kids that you substitute taught? In Florida, I did all through high school. And here in New York, I did mainly younger and like, middle school and mm-hmm. like I, t- I actually taught for at the school for the deaf for a while and uh you sign i don't sign that was interesting because well, i remember getting the call because they used to have this just this number that would call you and then like and they'd be like hey do you want to teach at school for deaf today and i go i don't sign they're like that's fine and then i mean there's a teacher's assistant in there who does sign right and the classes are a lot smaller are are misbehaving deaf kids loud um wow that's a it's a very heavy question. Uh, it's just, you would know. It's, it's interesting. I mean, the thing that I remember is that I kind of like, I guess felt bad for them when I first started. I was like, that's that's kind of a rough road. You're walking down the street and people know you're deaf and they're like, why well, move out of the way? And like, they can't hear you. And uh, But then there were some that were just like little rotten kids, you know? Yeah. And you're just like, I I've, have no sympathy for you. But Yeah. I guess that's the downside of like a people are people type room. Yeah. I mean, it's also probably <laughs> better that way to not just, people, rather yeah. than walking around like, hey, you, you're you're different. And, uh, but yeah, you're, you're kind of a jerk too. Did you think you wanted to be a teacher? No, I never. I mean, I did that totally out of flexibility. And I mean, I used to do a joke about it, how they, I, because they would call you at 6 a.m. and ask you if you want to work. 
And I, I, you can say no if you want. And I, something like I said, you know, I made first year teaching, I made $72 and 14 cents or something. But yeah, so it was, um, it was more flexibility because it, it wasn't a thing like if you have a waiting job, a wait service job, you have like, Hey, can I, I got an audition. Can you sh- switch shifts with me? This was just like, I'm not going to work. No. Right. But, Although I would guess that if you call most people at 6am with the question you want to work, that's the worst possible time to get Right. Yeah. Your decision making is like. You're asking me? Oh, no, of course I don't. But yeah. also... You're, you're, you're calling me exactly when I have at right. least four more hours of sleep scheduled as a stand-up comic. Right, and I was <laughs> hanging out the night before till 1 a.m. trying to get on at Catch a Rising Star. Yeah, and then you're like, wait, it's School for the Deaf? Maybe. Yeah. Sweeten deal but a little. That, that was the better of the gigs, the, the School for the Deaf. So... In the book, thank you for coming to Hattiesburg. Now, of all the places you played, you could have titled it, thank you for coming to Mulvane, Kansas, or thank you for coming to a couple of funny-ish sounding cities, maybe Wilmington or Winnipeg. Thank you for coming to Winnipeg. You think I blew it? Well, I was thinking about this. So the calculation is Winnipeg might be funnier. Not, you know, Walla Walla funny, not Hohokus, just, Mm -hmm. you know, Zagnut Seltzer down the pants funny. But, you know, legit funny you might piss off or alienate the American audience? Um, that's a mouthful, the title. <laughs> uh, yeah, I didn't, I, I guess, I don't, I think the Hattiesburg, I thought I thought of the thank you for coming to idea. And yeah. I said, I just, that was the first thing uh, I came up with. And then why try harder than the first thing you came <laughs> up with is what I say. In, uh, in joke writing, do you, do you, um, keep pounding them out until every word is perfect i do i do um and it's the pounding process is uh it's kind of uh it's excruciating because if you sort of get locked into a groove of saying a joke even if it's not working yeah it kind of comes out that way and you have to kind of get to smash it and go no you can't this worked this didn't work the last 10 times you do it you have to do it a different way <laughs> Ten you can't about blame your the audience threshold. 10 times yeah. in a row yeah but <laughs> But sometimes, yeah, there's jokes I've been doing wrong for years. <laughs> and then sometimes you just got to, you got to just re-examine it. But. It does seem like you see, it does seem that you get along with most of the professionals you're dealing with. Maybe not the occasional person who screws up uh, the dates on a sign, uh-huh. but your opening acts, you don't have too much, uh, well, maybe you didn't like one and didn't say anything about them. Oh, no. I mean, for the opening acts as, I mean, one thing I try to do now is like when you first start out and you play comedy clubs, they're like, uh. Yeah, we got an opening act for you. Okay, yeah. can I know who it is? Don't worry about it. We're experts at this. And then they give you someone who's just completely not a good match. I mean, I've done shows where you're like, you're in such a bad mood because if your opening act is terrible and then your audience is laughing at them, it's like, I don't even want to do a show for you guys. <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't want you to like me. <laughs> and then you go up there and they like you too and you're like, I, it's, it's too late. You, yeah. Well, it does seem that, I mean, you get the impression that you are amused, bemused by a lot of the things that happen to you. There is bonding among comedians about how bad uh, the spread or the green room will be at certain shows. And that's not a terrible thing. So you have to deal with that for a half an hour and then you could laugh about it for days afterwards. Yeah, I mean, that that kind of thing just sort of, uh, I guess... I heard Billy Joel say he he hates incompetence, and I I kind of hate incompetence, too. Like, just basic things where you walk into a place and, like, did you know that there was a show tonight? Like, like there's garbage on the floor, and it's just, like, I don't don't have, like, some long rider with, like, where they have to go shopping at a specific market that's, you know, in Beverly Hills or something. It's just, like, 
you could go to 7-Eleven in five minutes and get what I want. Just make the olives not or, expired by a week. Just, yeah, just, yeah. just, you know, put the toilet paper in the bathroom. Well, it's awesome to see that you're doing all these things in all these formats with all this energy. <laughs> you were a real extrovert with me. Yeah, I was. I yeah. this was very I was very comfortable. And your podcast, which I really like, where oh, you go you about think? an hour and a half. Was yeah, that, about an hour. Yeah, with uh, a different comedian, sometimes a group of comedians. Mm-hmm. It's an excellent podcast as well. Thank you, the Todd Barry Podcast. That is called the Todd Barry Podcast. The book is called Thank You for Coming to Hattiesburg, One Comedian's Tour of Not Quite the Biggest Cities in the World. And that comedian is and was Todd Barry. Thank you, Todd. Thanks for having me. And now the spiel. Lots of news today. Let's go right to CNN. The New York Attorney General is accusing Secretary of State Rex Tillerson of using an undisclosed email address and alias while serving as CEO of ExxonMobil. The New York AG Eric Schneiderman says the pseudonym Wayne Tracker is what Tillerson used to send emails related to important matters, including climate change. Let's go to CNN. Sorry, we have to interrupt that story for more breaking weather news. Top of the noon now as we bring you live coverage of this 2017 Nor'easter. I'm David Usher. And I'm Stacey Bell. Let's get you caught up on the very latest. Okay, we had the announcer guy track that last night before what the storm was actually going to do. So it's neither a blizzard nor an Easter. Maybe that's why it's accurate to call it a Nor'easter. But here's how we know all of this information about the storm. In fact, it's kind of unfair how we know it. We have a special weapon. It is here. Storm Tracker 4, the only high-frequency S-band radar in the tri-state. So accurate because it generates real-time images. Other stations' radars are so five minutes ago. Whoa, there was once a rule in TV meteorology circles that radars are off-limits. Say what you want about the other guys forecasting, leave the radars alone. But now I guess Storm Tracker 4 is just transgressing the norms. And that's not all it's doing. So powerful, it sees the storm behind the storm. Other stations' radars can't. So precise, it detects rain at street level. Other radars miss by a mile. Uh, You know what else detects rain at street level? I do, you do, umbrellas do, ponies do. The most accurate, most powerful, most precise. News for Storm Tracker 4. And now, joining forces with News 4 Storm Tracker... It's the most precise name in climate science, Wayne Tracker. He's on top of the science and ahead of the times. Wayne Tracker, combining the heft of a fossil fuels giant with the mysterious allure of a fictional screen name in a chat room. Other pseudonyms are more pseudo and less nimble. Wayne Tracker brings the hot takes on climate change. Tells you within a half degree Celsius how much the atmosphere is warming, levels with you on the role atmospheric carbon plays, and still maintains a significant level of distance from anyone actually listed on the board of directors at a well-known extractive industry. Wayne Tracker. He'll give you his honest insight into the news of the day, and you can quote him on that. Just who is the him we're even talking about? And if Wayne Tracker won't answer your emails, just CC his top deputy, Carlos Danger. Just do not click on the attachments.
That's it for today's show. The gist was produced by Mary Wilson. You might know her as Stacy Crusher. Chris Berube also produced the gist, sometimes under his pseudonym Scott Onnit. Steve Lichtai is executive producer of Slate Podcasts, except when he's answering emails as Steve Tylick. Andy Bowers is chief content officer of the Panoply Network, aka Flannery O'Confidence. The gist. You can also subscribe to us under searching for Gistford Simmons. Un peru de peru du peru, and thanks for listening.